the, uh, the Trans-Alaskan Pipeline. It's an engineering marvel. It was completed in 1977. It's 800 miles long. The pipe is 42 inches in diameter, and it pumps oil from Prudhoe Bay up in the north of Alaska all the way down to Valdez in the south of Alaska. When it was completed in 1977, it took oil, it took the oil four days to make that trip of 800 miles. Four days from Prudhoe Bay all the way down to Valdez. Today, all these years later, because of the decreased flow of the oil, it takes 14 days for the oil that starts up there to make it all the way to the south. The oil flow has slowed. And the danger isn't just an economic one. It isn't just because of our economy and we run on oil and, and we need the oil. The, the danger is that if the oil flow slows down too much or if it stops, the, the oil could freeze in the pipes, could cause them to burst, and the damage would be expensive and dangerous. We get concerned about our limited nat- natural resources. When we talk about our natural resources, we talk about what they give us and what they cost, what they're worth to us. Was the pipeline worth the work? Was it worth the expense? Is wind energy worth the expense? Uh, Is it worth the money? So we judge our resources by what they give us, by what they produce, by how much trouble they are. Do we do the same with people? Does God judge us like we judge resources? Does God do that with us? Sometimes I'm afraid that's what we think. Sometimes I'm afraid that's where we go. And we think that about ourselves. We think that about others. And we think, well, I don't have much talent. I don't have much ability. I don't have many gifts. I don't have much knowledge. And I definitely don't have much money. So what can I really do for God? What can I do for my church? What can I do for my community? And really, ultimately, what? What can I do for myself? That kind of self-doubt and that kind of assessment of our self-worth is dangerous, much like the slowing flow of oil in Africa or in, in, in Alaska is dangerous because it, it paralyzes us and it causes us to freeze to the point that we don't do anything. We don't move any closer to God. We don't move any closer to others. And just like that pipeline, it's dangerous for us it's dangerous for the church. It's dangerous for our world. And, and so we have to see that that's a very wrong way of viewing our worth before God. Let me make this clear to you. There is nothing that you have that God needs. Okay? There is, there is nothing that you have that God needs. But everything about who you are is exactly what He wants. God loves you. And when we get that, when we really understand that, we really begin to see our worth and the worth of of other people. That's a difficult lesson for us to learn. In fact, it's something that the disciples struggled with over and over again. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves making the same mistake that they made. We find ourselves making the mistake of valuing people based on what they bring to God. We value people based on what they bring to God. And it is a mistake. In fact, it's a mistake seen 
in the Scriptures over and over again, in the Gospels over and over again. And the main culprit of this mistake of valuing people based on what they have, the main culprit is Christians. (laughs) The main culprit are the people closest to Jesus. And so don't think we're immune. We're going to look at Luke 18 today. And all through this chapter, over and over again, through a parable and through encounters with children and encounters, an encounter with a man, Jesus shows us that we can't measure our value or the value of others by what they have or what they bring to God. We're going to look today at Luke 18, beginning in verse 15. It's on page 877. If you want to use one of those Bibles in the pew in front of you, follow along with us. 877. In this passage, we're going to meet a man that we come to know as the rich young ruler. Matthew tells us he's young. Luke kind of leaves that one little detail out. But we meet this man known as the rich young ruler. But we're also going to see how Jesus welcomed the least in society. The lowest in society. How He welcomed children. How He welcomed infants. And how He treated them. Um, But before we look at either, I want you to notice again, just as we we looked last week, I want you to notice the setting of this passage. Why is this passage here? Uh, What is the purpose of this passage? Before either encounter with the children or with the rich young ruler, Jesus offers a parable. If you start back in verse 9 of Luke 18, Luke says, He also told this parable to some to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. You hear who his audience is? People who felt like, I have something to bring to God, but but you don't. So, God loves me more and God pays attention to me more and God has blessed me more because I have something that He wants and, and you don't. So, He told them this parable. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, I thank You, God, that I am not like other men, extortioners or unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you understand the difference between those two men? It's not about what they brought to God. It's about what they were giving of themselves. And so from there, we have these encounters beginning in verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to Him that He might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to Him saying, let the children come to Me. And do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked Him, good teacher, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. And then when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. If we were to judge people based on their resources, how would we judge each of those encounters? Look at it from the perspective of the disciples. The disciples, they've left everything to follow Jesus, right? They've left their nets by by the water. They've left their tax collector booth. Everything that they did, all their jobs, they've left their homes. They've left their families to follow Jesus. And they have certain needs like food. <laughs> they would like to, to get a few things out of life. And, and so they bring these children to Jesus. And I don't know if you've been around a lot of kids, but they don't have very big bank accounts. You know, I, don't think, I don't think kids tithe. I really don't. You know? And so, so they're bringing these kids. And they're, Jesus, these kids are going to drag us down. These kids are going to slow us down. And these kids are going to make a lot of noise. They're, they're going to make a lot of smells. That's what kids do. You know? And then... Here's this ruler that comes to him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy is obviously wealthy. He's, he's loaded. And, and he wants to be a part of what we're doing. He, he, says he's, he says he's kept the commandments. This is, a, this is a holy man. What are you thinking, Jesus? Why would you drive that man away? It's a dangerous trap. It's a dangerous trap for us. It's, it's a doubly dangerous trap because we end up making one of two mistakes. We either treat people like they're worthless because they don't have as much as other people or they don't have what we need or what we want. So we treat people like they're worthless, like they have nothing that they can offer us, nothing they can offer God. Or we look at people based strictly on what they do have to offer. Whether that's finances, whether that's abilities, whether that's their gifts, whether that's their power, And it doesn't just damage our perception of other people. It damages our perception of ourselves as well. And that's when we freeze. That's when we stop moving towards God. That's when we stop moving towards each other. Because I know that I have nothing that God would want. I know I have nothing that He needs. But you see, God doesn't see worth the way we tend to see worth. He looks at people differently. And God's desire isn't what we have, but who we are. God is looking for people who are wholehearted in their commitment to Him. See, it's not about what you bring. It's about whether or not you bring yourself. Do you give yourself to Him completely or do you hold back? You know, in verses 15-17, through 17, these children are coming to Him. Let me ask you, do children hold anything back? <laughs> no. <laughs> they don't hold anything back do, do they put on airs and pretend to be you know a little more hoity than they really are no they they don't do that they are honest sometimes they are way too honest they are they are open verse 17 jesus says truly i say to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of god like a child shall not enter it do you remember the issue last week we looked at the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin the reason jesus told those parables 
was because he was being criticized by the Pharisees because he received sinners and he ate with them. He was welcoming sinners. Children know how to receive you. They know how to welcome you. And when they do, they let you know they let you know everything about them. Everything. And if you're not careful, they'll let you know everything about their parents too. That's why we're very cautious about what we talk about in front of our kids. They'll let you know everything. Smells and all. They'll, they'll let you know everything. That's how you receive the kingdom. In contrast to that, look at the question of the rich ruler. He says in verse 18, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? What must I be? What are you looking for, Jesus? Because I've got resources. I've got talents. I've got commitment. Whatever you need, I can provide. Tell me who you want me to be, and I will be that person. Jesus responds to him by saying one thing. There's one thing you still lack. And I want you to know this. When Jesus said that, one thing you still lack. Some of, some of you are old, right? Some of you are older. This, this doesn't going to mean a thing to any of you younger people. Do you remember the commercial when E.F. Hutton talks? People listen, right? You remember that? For you young kids, forget it. Don't worry about it. But the older people are like, yeah, I get that. You know, Everything stops when E.F. Hutton talks and everybody listens. When Jesus said this one thing you lack, I guarantee everybody shut up. And everybody listened. Because if this guy, this rich guy who is obviously blessed, he's obviously wealthy and I'm not wealthy. He's obviously blessed, so therefore I'm not blessed. If he's lacking one thing, maybe I need that one thing too. Maybe if I had that one thing, I could follow Jesus too. Maybe if I had that one thing, I could inherit eternal life also. What is that one thing? You remember, in that society, if you were rich, You were blessed. If you were rich, you were obviously going to heaven. You were obviously favored by God. So if there's just one thing that that guy needed, then I want to know what it is because I can. maybe I have that thing too. Jesus says to him in verse 22, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow Me. Now I want you to understand, this is not Jesus being demanding. This is not Jesus selling salvation to the highest bidder. Well, how much you got? You know, let's see what I can do for you. This is Jesus pointing out the folly of this guy's question. This is Jesus playing along with the guy. Because if you think that you can bring anything to God to make you worthy of salvation, if you think you can bring anything to make you worthy of salvation, there will always be one more thing. Because you will never be satisfied with who you are. And therefore, you will think that God is not satisfied with you either. You will never be satisfied. There will always be one more thing you need to do. One more thing you need to give. One more command you need to keep. One more sin you need to stay away from. Look at the contrast. Verse 22, One thing you lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow Me. And then look at verse 16. Let the little children come to Me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Can both of those be true? 
Can they both be true? What's, what's the difference in those statements? The difference is children know they have nothing to offer. Children know they can't buy your affection. They can't buy your love. They can't bargain with you for your love. They, they simply come to you. And if you're placing your hope on anything that you have to offer to God, that hope won't get you very far. But when we place our hope in what God can do, then our hope never runs out. Our hope is placed on what God can do. Our hope never runs out. They all watched. They all listened to Jesus' interaction with this man. Verse 23 says, but when He heard these things, He became very sad, for He was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that He had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were all stunned when He said that. Because all their lives, they had been told that rich people were blessed. All their lives, they had been told, rich people are going to heaven. You're not rich, you're probably not. God favors those uh, who are rich because He's obviously blessed them. All their lives, that had been held over their heads because they weren't rich. Therefore, they weren't blessed. Therefore, they weren't favored. Therefore, they weren't loved by God. And so, and so the crowd's reaction is, if that guy can't make it, then what chance do I have? If that guy can't get in, if a rich person can't get into heaven, then what chance do I have of making it to heaven? What chance do any of us have? So it goes on in, in verse 26. There's the question. Those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? But he, but Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, Lord, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Remember back in chapter 9? Chapter 9 is when Jesus set His face to go to Jerusalem. And in that moment, Jesus began calling for deeper commitment. He began calling for real sacrifice from those who would follow. Sacrifice of self. It was there in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, where Jesus says, if anyone would come after Me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow Me. Deny himself. Deny your own abilities. Deny your own worth. Deny what this world has given you. Deny what you have. Uh, deny your own treasures, deny what you can bring to God. Lay that all down. Take up the cross and follow. You see, this, this is where that kind of commitment leads. This is where it has to lead. Not in earning your salvation. Not in earning your worth. Not in providing the resources that God needs. But in recognizing that you're not going to get there on your own. That it's impossible. There is nothing you have in which you can place your hope. But when we place our hope in what God can do, our hope never runs out. That's why Jesus deserves 
first place in our lives and in our hearts. That's why He calls us to follow Him. Do you remember back in chapter 14? Two weeks ago, chapter 14, on, on Valentine's Day, I, I preached that wonderful text for Valentine's Day. That, that text that you all think about every Valentine's Day. You probably wrote it on the card that you gave your wife or your husband. Luke 14, verse 26, where Jesus says, if anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. It was a call to recognize that there is no greater love in your life than Jesus. It was a call to put your trust completely in Him, to place Him first in your heart, first in your life. How does Jesus respond to that kind of commitment? Did you see it there in verses 29 and 30? Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or wife, or brothers, or parents, or children for the sake of the Kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. He turns our devotion into hope not through what we have to offer, but through His own grace. Verse 27 says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Maybe you're facing something impossible this week. Maybe there's something impossible going on. Maybe there's something impossible in your home. Maybe there's someone impossible in your home. Heck, that could be it. There's something impossible in your home. Maybe there's something impossible in your job. Maybe there's something impossible in your heart. Maybe you have just come to that conclusion, I don't have what it takes. Maybe you thought like that rich young ruler, God, whatever you need, that's me. That's, that's what I've got. I've got what you need. I've got everything it takes. And you've come to the conclusion, no, I don't. And you realize just how poor you are, how poor in spirit you are, how poverty-stricken your, your heart is. That's not a bad place to be. Because Jesus says that it's at that point that you come to Him like a little child. It's at that point that you come to Him knowing that I have nothing except Myself. Nothing to save Me. Nothing to offer except My own love and My devotion. It's at that point that we come to Him and, like a child and, and just simply offer ourselves. The good news is God makes the impossible possible. I loved what Alana had to sing for us. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Putting your trust in what you have, in who you are, and what you can provide for yourself will make you a slave to fear. I don't see a lot of little kids who are slaves to fear because they put their trust in someone greater than them. They put their trust in their parents. And we put our trust in God. Jesus paid it all. Whatever need you have this week, whatever impossible you've faced, what's impossible with man is, impo is possible with God. God has met that need. Let's stand together.